Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. As we come to uh, the end of the book that we actually uh, began uh, two weeks into this quarantine. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, we had to close down the church one Sunday, did it late on a Saturday afternoon, so did not have a service that Sunday. And then the next week, uh, we looked at Psalm 46. What a mighty fortress, what a rock our God is. And then we determined that because uh, we had been led to go through 2 Corinthians, that we would uh, forge ahead with that book, that God led us to this book long before uh, we had even heard of uh, COVID-19. And so evidently God had something in this book. And I've even been amazed at how much it applies to the kinds of things that we have been uh, going through. I will tell you uh, so that I don't have to answer it, you know, uh, uh, many, many times. In two weeks, we will be going into the book of Malachi, and I'm excited about that. Th those are the last words in the Old Testament uh, before a, a period of 400 years of silence, and uh, the study of that book will lead us right into Advent. And uh, next week, we're actually going to uh, revisit our verse of the year, again, a verse that uh, we had no idea what this year would bring, and yet uh, God gave us a verse that has so many applications uh, during the time of COVID. Uh, when I was growing up, when my mom would uh, make bread or if we would have uh, French bread and it would be cut up, uh, I always liked to eat the end pieces. Now, in my family, uh, in, with a loaf of bread, and Connie will tell you this is still true to today, uh, with a loaf of bread, we called that the heel. Did anybody else use that term? Okay. Uh, and I, I think for many, that was undesirable. That's what you get rid of and... Uh, ignore, but I always that was always the, the one that I, I preferred. Now, as we study through books of the Bible, uh, there are end pieces. There is a beginning piece and an end piece. And sometimes people kind of fly through those and kind of maybe even ignore the very end, but I've, I've tried always to pay close attention to them because there is so much uh, often in the books of the Bible in the very beginning, even in the greeting and the first things that are spoken and then the very last things often are, are uh, full of application for God's people. So uh, today that's what we're going to look at. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in 2 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 11 
Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with uh, one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for this wonderful book that we have been able to for these 25 weeks study, hear from your spirit, learn of you. And Lord, we would pray now that, that you would continue to impact us with, with these words, that you would teach us, and we are asking for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. And thank you, the rest of you, for not leaving during the prayer. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> rather awkward. <laughs> that was the plan all, all along, so... So let's uh, jump right in and see what what Paul says to the church that he has said so much to in uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, The first thing he does is he addresses uh, their attitude. And he says, verse 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. So he calls, he addresses them as, as, as brothers and first of all, that's a generic term. Uh, it is, in that day, it would have been inclusive, men and women. They, that's just how they would say it. In our day, we would say brothers and sisters, typically. But that's, that's what was meant there. But it was a very warm term. And what he is doing, he's had to say some hard things to uh, this church, and yet here at the end, as he kind of brings it together, we see his, his focus on his, his deep love for these people and his concern for them and his, his desire for them to, uh, to know that. But what he says, he says, uh, rejoice. Now, Paul is the master of that. In fact, uh, next week when we look at our our verse of the year. That's actually how it starts out, doesn't it? Rejoice always. And we see that in uh, a number of places uh, in the New Testament, in particular, uh, that, that encouragement. And so Paul, what he tends to do uh, is focus on whatever is going on in your life, Face it with joy. Rejoice. Um, That's one of the reasons why our mission statement says this is what St. Andrew's is to to be, 
uh, joyfully helping people know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. And we see that as the umbrella over everything else that we do here. It should be taking place in joy. And uh, we'll, we'll flesh that out a little bit next week about, so how do you do that in all circumstances as he's encouraging? But that's where he starts with them, to remind them, look, you, you, you're God's people so re- rejoice. And then he talks about how to treat one another. Uh, verse 11, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. So let's, let's take a look at uh, some of those. Aim for restoration. The word literally means be perfected. Now, what's he saying there? That's, that's an odd way to think in terms of of restoration. He's not talking so much to them as individuals that they somehow and in some way should become perfect. What he is saying is you as a church, there is a way for uh, a church to act and react. And he's saying that's what what we need to be about. Um, the idea is to be united with one another as a functioning and a, and a healthy church. One commentator says, be perfectly joined together. And that's the kind of thing he's going to be saying to them in a moment. Another says, prepare yourselves. Hear the call of your commander to form into rank and file, to get into order of battle. So he's saying, look, as a church, get it together of what a church ought to be so that when you face things as individuals and as a church, you will be functioning the way the church ought to be. And that's what he's calling them to here. And then he says, comfort one another. Now, we talked about uh, the end pieces. This this actually, here, here this is at the end, this actually harks back to the very beginning, the very first chapter, and I'm going to read you a section of that because that was a a number of months ago, but uh, hear that word, how often he says it. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort of with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in in, uh, Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, uh, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. That was four verses. The word comfort was used ten times in those four verses. You think you want to get something across? And he he does that periodically in the book. But So there at the beginning, he lays that out and he says, look, Whatever we're going through, it's so we can comfort you. 
what you're going through is so you can comfort one another. There is a reason for all that we go through, and one of the reasons is for comfort. And, and we talked uh, uh, previously in the book, every time we came across the word, of, of what that word means. That word means to come alongside of somebody. And it's the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, that's the word, along one who comes alongside of. And he says, look, that's the Holy Spirit, which he's going to talk about later. That's the Holy Spirit. But one way God comforts is as you come alongside of one another. That's what a church and a church family is. He says live in peace, which I think is just a reiteration of, of the other things that he is saying there and that they need to be doing. And then uh, look at verse 12. He, he talks about a holy greeting. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, that was obviously a pre-COVID verse, wasn't it? <laughs> How do you even do that with, with masks on and socially distancing? And yet, there's a principle there. We can't ignore it. Uh, and so what he was referring to in, in that day was something that typically would be done uh, within a family. So he's, he's saying, and by the way, that, that phrase, greeting one another with a holy kiss, is a number of places in the New Testament. So what he's saying is that the way a family treats one another and, and even greets one another, that's how you should be uh, greeting and treating one another. And then those on the outside, when they see that, they will say there's something different about that group in the sense that they're acting like they're family. And that's the point, isn't it? Now, I want us to take a little side road here, but it's an important one in terms of uh, this is a great example of the importance of proper uh, interpretation of the Scripture. Many of you, because I already said that it had to do with the, the culture of that day. Many of you have heard that, that uh, from time to time, someone will say, well, you know what, the, especially the New Testament, the whole Bible, that was just culturally conditioned. So we don't have to pay attention to the details. Let's just look at the big picture of things. And let me give you two issues where we often hear that used. One is pertaining to marriage, and another is pertaining to the role of women, in particular in the church and in marriage. Now, in other words, some would say, well, you know, the, the Bible's culturally conditioned. Yeah, okay, they, they said marriage is one man, one woman, but we know better now. Or 
you know, it says, yes, this is, is uh, how women are to function, and these are roles. And, you know, that was back then. They were rather backward and, and so on. But, but we know better in our day. We've, we've grown beyond that. That was culturally conditioned. And what they're doing is they are writing off truths in Scripture by claiming that was just that culture back then so it doesn't apply to us. In those two areas as examples, that is bad biblical interpretation. And here's why. Both of those issues, marriage and the the role of women, when they're talked about in the New Testament, it's not just Paul's opinion on this, what he does is he roots it back in the creation, back in Genesis. This is what marriage is. And he he roots it to how we were created. This is men and women. That's rooted as well in the creation order. And so that which is rooted in creation remains the same until the new creation comes, unless Jesus changes it along the way. And in those areas, he has not changed it. So, is there ever a time where we say, yeah, the culture conditioned what was said there? Yes, what we have in front of us is, is an example, greeting one another with a, with a holy kiss. Um, a couple of others would be, for instance, head covering for women and uh, a foot washing, for instance, that meant something in that culture that doesn't mean the same thing right now. And hats for women don't mean the same thing now that, that a head covering in uh, the New Testament days meant. So what do we learn from that? What we learn is, yes, there are things that were uh, were. Uh, influenced by the culture, but we mustn't lose uh, the truth there. We mustn't lose the principle there. So when it comes to greeting one another with a holy kiss, we can say, yeah, in that culture, that's what it was. It was some kind of a, a thing that would be done within a family. But in our culture, it may be something different. And in another culture, it may be something different, but the principle was this. The principle was a warm, respectful greeting that would indicate we are family and we love one another, and when people look on, they would not misinterpret it. For instance, uh, that's why it says a holy kiss, so that it wouldn't be something where they'd look on and say, well, that's immoral, what they're doing there. So let me give you a couple of examples just from uh, a couple of places I've been uh, in terms of the culture and the idea of a a holy kiss. Uh, If you go down to Mexico, guys will will hug one another and, you know, you got to learn which way to hug or if you both turn the same way, you, you touch faces and that's awkward. But guys will do that. And for for women... And girls, you kiss outside their cheek. You, you kiss the air. That's what it was described to me. 
because I, I made them define it for me when they said, this, yeah, this is how you, you greet. And uh, girls would do that with girls and women with women and men with women, but it was, uh, it was a, a, a perfectly uh, innocent and appropriate thing in that culture. You go down to Chile, had to learn the greeting there. Um, guys walk up to one another and they shake hands and grab the arm and then they hug, and then they go back to the, the same thing. And with the women, again, uh, you, you kiss outside the, the cheeks. Now, you go over to England, and there they shake hands, well, basically as far apart as you can possibly <laughs> get. Well, they, they don't actually do that, but... But they think we get into each other's space way too much as Americans. And so there's that. That would be where they're more comfortable and what their culture would dictate. You go to the Far East, and what would they do? They will bow from a, a short distance. But in each of those cultures, this verse applies, but it doesn't mean if you're if you're in the, the Far East, now you've got to start kissing one another. What it means is you do that which family does with one another so that as, as people look on, they say, yeah, there's something different about them and it's a beautiful thing because they treat one another like a family. There's a genuine affection among them. Then we see him in uh, verse 11, the last part, gives a promise, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So Paul is saying, if you do these things that I've just told you, that will promote unity and and love among you, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, what we want to be careful of here is we don't want to think, okay, what he's saying is if we obey here, then we will earn something from God or he will owe us his presence. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, you do these things, and there'll be a beautiful unity among you, and here's another thing you will experience, the God of love and peace. He's going to be with you, and you will experience that as well. And then he gives a reminder of the larger connection. Uh, In verse 13, he says, all the saints greet you. Now, Paul is writing from Macedonia. And what he's uh, doing here with the church in Corinth is he's saying, look, I'm here with other believers in another area. And they send their greetings, reminding them that it's not just about them. They're not by themselves. We're all connected. And that's one of the reasons virtually every Sunday here we will have either a missions moment or a missions moment and something in the worship guide about our, our ministries with, with people in other countries or other parts of our country, uh, other parts of our city even. As a reminder, that's one of the things it does. It reminds us we're part of something way bigger than our little group here at St. Andrews. We're part of a a worldwide, a global 
movement of followers of Christ. And that makes a difference when we remember that. And that's what he's reminding them here as well. And then we see the benediction. Verse 14. And, and by the way, if we want to remember the end piece as we've been at the very end of the book, don't forget the beginning. Here's what he said at the beginning of the book, and listen how similar. At the beginning he said, grace to you, is verse 2 in the first chapter, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here at the end he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see how he brings it around, pulls it together with the pieces on both ends. It's, it's not just a wish, it's a prayer. And he, he uses the Trinity here. Now, usually the way we formulate the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the New Testament, sometimes it's like a different order. It, it is here, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So Paul is wanting this for the church in, in Corinth. He is wanting them to experience salvation and, and forgiveness and grace from the Lord Jesus. That's what I want for you, he says. And then he, he wants them to experience the Father's deep and abiding love. And then the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, that he will show his constant presence with them. That's what he wants for the people in Corinth. So, did this help them? Did 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and, and if there was a, a letter in between, did that, did that help them? They had lots of issues that were being addressed in these books. Did they grow from it? Did they, did they stay firm, or did they come back to, to Christ only to fall away on a whim? How long did their faith last? I want to make it clear, our authority here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church is the Word of God and the Word of God only. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn also from historical books and letters and other things outside of the Scripture of some of the things that, that were going on. And so I want, to, I want to share with you from other letters later on that went to this same church. 2 Corinthians uh, was written about 56 A.D. From that point, if you fast forward 21 years, there was a, a, a devastating earthquake there, and the city when it was, became rubble. They had to rebuild. The church is still there. What kind of shape are they in? During that time and for the next number of years, they underwent a, a, an awful persecution from the government. What happened to the church? Was there even a church left after that? Well, from the time of the earthquake, if you fast forward 19 more years to 96 A.D., 
Here's what was written. This is by Clement, who was an overseer in Rome. And, and he writes a letter to the same church. So you can imagine that there would be some that were still alive at that point that, that would have received this first letter, and then there were others that were family and, uh, and, and younger uh, that were still there. They were descendants. So what happened to the church? Here's how he addressed them. To the church of God exiled in Corinth. So he's, he's speaking to the church and he's saying, look, I know Corinth's not your home, but that's where you are right now. But, but what did he say about them? In his description uh, of the church, Clement compliments uh, the Corinthian church on its reputation for excellence and firmness of faith. This is after coming through persecution and there still being some persecution. That they stood firm in the Lord. Some of the same people again, but mostly descendants. He compliments them, he says, on their sensible and considerate Christian piety. He honors them for their hospitality. Now, these were descendants of people that were just cold toward the Apostle Paul. He praises them for their disciplined young people and blameless women and, uh, with pure conscience. Women, he said, who treat their husbands with affection and are known for homes run with dignity and discretion. What high words for them. And then there was someone who, who lived right after Clement, Hegesippus. Uh, and he said this, that he was refreshed by their true doctrine. So this great epistle was a reminder to the church in Corinth that it is the obedient life of trusting in Christ alone a life lived by his grace where Christ alone is sufficient for everything that we need. It is that life that brings honor to Christ. May this for us be a reminder as well as we are heirs of the church in Corinth of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this beautiful book that you saw fit to preserve for us and then to lead us to and to teach us from. Will you help us to continue to grow from it as we focus upon the sufficiency of Christ, upon your sufficiency in our life for whatever we are facing? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.